Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Our Flash Fiction Contest officially went live this week, and we've already got a handful of fantastic submissions. If you'd like to get in on the action, start by heading over to our website and click on the Flash Contest banner on the homepage for a look at our muse. Gaze deep into the blackness of the eyes. Let it draw you in, down deep into the abyss. 
absorb the inspiration you find there, and then spill it out onto the page. In 1,000 words or less, that is. Our editors are champing at the bit to read what you create, so best not let them down. There's no telling what they might do. You've got until the end of the month to submit, which, if this month is anything like January, I suspect is going to creep up mighty fast. Also, if you're shopping for that perfect Valentine's gift, we've got some great deals coming up on the Tales to Terrify store. T-shirts, hoodies, stickers, you name it, are up to 35% off from the 10th to the 12th of this month. If you really want to show how much you care for that special someone, sure, you could rip your beating heart from your chest and offer it up as a token of your undying love. Or, the next best thing, how about a Tales to Terrify t-shirt? Visit TalesToTerrify.com slash merch to check out everything we've got on offer. And, as a reminder, all proceeds from sales go back into the show. So, you'll be making our hearts swell as well when you get some gear. We're going to take a bit of a break from touring for a couple of weeks as I sort through a few things here on the home front. But what we're lacking in preamble, I promise we'll make up for in fiction. So let's dive right in, shall we? Our first story tonight comes to us from Liam Hogan. Liam Hogan is an award-winning short story writer with stories in Best of British Science Fiction 2016 and 2019 and Best of British Fantasy 2018, Newcon Press. He's been published by Analog, Daily Science Fiction, and Flame Tree Press, among others. He helps host Liars League London, volunteers at the creative writing charity Ministry of Stories, and lives and avoids work in London. More details at happyendingnotguaranteed.blogspot.co.uk You can also follow him on Twitter at Liam J. Hogan. Listen with me, children of the night, to Liam Hogan's Penny Prince, first published in Happy Ending Not Guaranteed by Arachne Press 2017. faint ringing of metal on metal, the tink of a coin glancing against the stone wall, a pause before the soft final landing and the day's work begins anew. I briefly consider ignoring the summons, as I do every dank, dark morning, but the memory of my mother's words chide me from my nest of leaves and moss. I push myself to my hands and knees, and feel something squelch under my palm. I gather the meaty worm to my lips, grateful for the nourishment, 
before crawling to where the coins come to rest. Digging with my fingertips through the loose dirt, I glance with squinted eyes at the bright, diced disc at the top of the well. The sky is blue today, but it'll be a while before the unseen sun spills enough light to cut the subterranean gloom before the metal grid casts its latticed shadow on the glazed bricks high above. I find the offering, a penny, a hopeful sign that a good day is ahead of me. I pop it into my cheek for safekeeping, sucking on its brassy coldness while I wait to see if any more coins are forthcoming. There's nothing. No movement, no sound, no voices. I suspect the penny was an early morning offering from someone who didn't even break step in passing. I thread my way back to where my mother silently waits, presenting her with the first coin of the day. I take her hand, place the coin in it, and feel it slip between the cold, hard fingers. Were I so minded, I could count the pile that has grown up over time to know how long it has been since she last moved, last spoke, last closed her fingers around a coin. In the days when the pile was only a dozen strong, she must still have been proud of me, for those days were bountiful. The small alcove in which she sits writhed with insects, and I did not go hungry. But that time was long gone. The coins now threatened to spill from her lap into the tunnel, and only the occasional ghost-white millipede crawls over her thin limbs and gaping ribs. I pace out my territory, the three tunnels with their neat alcoves, each for a different type of coin. Then onto the dank ledge that overlooks the storm sewer, where I relieve myself. Once I have done my rounds, I settle into a nook by the shaft and idly pick through the leaf litter for woodlice and other morsels, while I await the next of the day's offerings. My mother did not call the coins coins, nor did she call them offerings. She called them wishes. What sort of wishes? I asked. Each coin, she said, held a person's secret desires which is why they were precious, why we must carefully look after them. What sort of desires? Oh, all kinds, she said. Money, love, health, serious things, frivolous things, escape. I shook my head. Why would you wish for money while throwing it away? What happens to the wishes, Mama? She gave me a look of sorrow pity. Sometimes just wishing is enough. A desire to change is enough. Sometimes the wishes are forgotten almost as soon as the coin leaves the hand. And sometimes, sometimes the most foolish wishes of all are granted. My mother had the knack of knowing what coin had been thrown from on high by the noise it made as it bounced off the iron grill or against the moss-covered walls. A tuppenny wish, she would say, or a tenpenny wish. Little surprise, the first word I ever spoke was penny. When I was older, and she less able, or less willing, to crawl back and forth, I would gather the coins for her, bringing them back to be sorted and neatly stacked, as I still do today, in the alcoves that honeycomb the tunnels below. She taught me to recognise the coins by touch. By the light of the blue sky, or, on the rarest of summer nights, by that of a full moon, she told me tales about what I could dimly see, the tenpence piece with its lion proudly wearing a crown, 
or the perennial penny and its chained metal grid, so like the one that sits at the top of our well that divides the high from the low. She said it was a portcullis. My prince, my mother called me. My penny prince. Except for that one time, when she caught me trying to climb the shaft, trying to reach the distant portcullis. I made it as far as the last five feet. There the glazed bricks shone in the harsh, bright sunlight and offered me no purchase. Too smooth to grip, not crumbling like those below. I stayed there a while, wondering how I could bridge the impossible gap until my mother found me. She slapped me, called me God-forsaken, then burst into tears, telling me she did it out of worry, out of fear, that no good would come to either of us from up there. I cried that I wasn't trying to get up there, that I just wanted to see what lay beyond. She hissed, If you can see them, then they can see you! I knew this wasn't true. I'd seen the sunlit faces staring down into the black depths in which I was hidden. I'd watched them with longing, not knowing what it was I yearned for. But I said nothing, still shocked from the sharp retort of my mother's hand against my cheek. She told me that, up there, in the place that the coins came from, each coin had a different value. She taught me to recognise the numbers on the coins. A pound is worth a hundred pennies, she would say. I was curious. Is a pound wish worth a hundred penny wishes? No, she said with fierce passion. Wishes are special to the person who makes them, and we must look after them all, make sure none are ever lost. This is our duty, yours and mine. Value of the coin itself doesn't matter. Except... She trailed off. Except, I prompted. She sighed, and I felt the breath of warm air in the cool, damp tunnel. A silver sixpence. I could not recall ever having seen a sixpence coin. I had a sixpence once, a proper one, a silver one, she murmured, in the dreamy voice in which she sometimes told her tales. Where is it? I asked. Lost, she said, or transformed, I don't know, I threw it into the well. I rocked back on my heels. You threw a coin into a well? This well? Yes, she said. I slipped away to sit and think. When I returned, she was waiting for me, as if our earlier conversation had not ended. Which, I suppose, it hadn't. What's it like? I asked. Up high. Is it like the stories you tell? Are they really princes and princesses? Lions and feather crowns and magic? She smiled. A weary smile. A smile that seemed to say she had known this day would come. No, not quite. But nor is it like anything down here, she said. It is much, much larger. There are trees and buildings, buildings as tall as this well is deep, taller even. You can see the sun, feel it on your skin. There are oh so many people. More than a hundred? I asked in disbelief. Many <laughs> more, she laughed. Men, women and children, animals too, dogs and cats and foxes. How crowded it must be, I thought and I wondered how those fabled beasts compared to the mice and the occasional dead rat that floated by in the storm sewer that bordered our domain. What did you wish for, Mama? I asked. She gripped my hand, gripped it so tightly that it hurt, and gripped even harder as I tried to pull away. Never, 
ever tell anyone what you wish for. You hear me? Never! I pieced it together as best I could. It had something to do with me, though when she made her wish I had not yet been born. It had a lot to do with her family, about whom she rarely spoke, and it had something to do with falling. I am a fallen woman, she would say, with a little laugh that sometimes turned into a sob. I didn't understand. How could she have fallen when the grid at the top of the world only let coins and leaves pass? What could she have wished for that might have caused the earth to swallow her up, the portcullis closing behind her, an impassable barrier between what she once knew and where she lived now? Sometimes the size and the shape of the coin are familiar, but the design less so. They change with the year, the year with which they are etched, the numbers that slowly march onwards. A new coin gleams in a way its older companions do not, but there is no one to tell me its story. Sometimes a particular coin is thrown no more, or only very rarely. And sometimes the coins are strange. I cannot understand their markings. They bear neither king nor queen, and I wonder who it is they expect will grant their wishes. I wake once again to the faint sound of a coin against stone. Has the day begun so soon? But when I crawl to the shaft and stare upwards, it is the moon that I see, the full moon, hanging dead centre and imprisoned. There is a chill to the air, and I listen for noise, for the giggles, the laughter, for the other strange sounds that sometimes accompany such night offerings. There is only the soft sigh of the wind, and the mournful hoot of the unseen beast my mother called an owl. My fingers feel their way across the damp ground, ignoring the wood lice and the snails that I would normally linger over. At last I run my fingers across the coin, and I hold it to the light of the moon above. I tremble in the cold night air. It is a silver coin, of unfamiliar size, lighter even than a penny, and it bears a king's head instead of one of the four queens, the girl wreathed by leaves, the young woman, the crown borne proudly high upon her head, the mother, her shoulders draped in cloth, with the aged queen that only appeared after my mother had tucked herself into her alcove and stopped naming the coins as they fell, coins that continued to change their year and design, ignoring her silence. Gently I rub the dirt from the reverse, read the words that appear there. Sixpence, it says, as a shiver runs down my naked spine. My mother had a sixpence once. She wished upon it, though she would never tell me what she wished for. Whatever it was, it allowed her to pass through the solid metal barrier at the top of the well, and she'd regretted it ever since. Be careful what you wish for, she'd said. Is this my mother's sixpence? I could give it back to her. Would she take it? Or would it, too, slip through her still, fleshless fingers? With the moon so full and so perfectly centred, this is a magical moment, and perhaps the coin, and therefore the wish, are meant for me. I close my eyes, mutter my words, and lightly throw the shiny sixpence. Do not hear it hit the ground. When I peek through slitted eyelids, there it is, floating before me, sparkling in the moonlight, slowly spinning as it rises up and up, back through the portcullis, towards the black clouds that have begun to threaten the moon. I wonder where it is going, and whether my wish will still be granted. The first heavy drops of rain fall onto my upturned face moments later. Be careful what you wish for, 
my mother's last words echo in my mind. My mother never liked storms. She'd always been nervous, crouched on the ledge above the sewer, watching anxiously as the levels rose. Worried, I think, that the black, turgid waters might spill into our tunnels. They never had. This had always been a dry well. But then, it had never rained like this before. As the ground beneath my feet turns to mud, as that mud creeps up my ankles, to my thighs, to my knees, as I hear and feel the thunder crack above and the angry noise of the gushing sewer below, my breath rasps and my heart thuds. Mother, I whimper, but I know now that she cannot answer, will never again answer. I had wished to be borne up, to be lifted to the portcullis, so that I might finally see what lay beyond. The water surges, cold and rank. I had not specified by what. Desperate fingers clawing at the crumbling walls, I begin to climb. That was Liam Hogan's Penny Prince, as read by Matt Dovey. Matt Dovey is very tall and very English, and most likely drinking a cup of tea right now. He has a scar on his arm that he can't remember getting, but a terrible darkness floods his mind when he considers it. He now lives in a quiet market town in rural England with his wife and three children and despite being a writer, he still hasn't found the right words to properly express the delight and joy he finds in this wonderful arrangement. His surname rhymes with Dopey, but any other similarities to the dwarf are purely coincidental. He is the Golden Pen winner for Writers of the Future, Volume 32, 2016, and his fiction out and forthcoming all over the place. You can keep up with it at mattdovey.com or follow along on Facebook and Twitter, both as at mattdoveywriter. Thank you, Matt. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Our second story tonight comes from Marius Decomitis. From the UK, Marius Decomitis devotes most of his free time writing horror fiction. As well as publishing his own short stories and novels, Marius's work has appeared in various e-zines and anthologies. His latest work is Phantasmagoria, a collection of short stories. Marius can be found on Twitter as at Decomitis and also writes his own blog at horrorzones.blogspot.com where he shares his interests in all things horror. Children of the Night, join me for Marius Decomitis's The Whisperers. A Tales to Terrify original. He couldn't reach the memories now. The good memories. The sentimental memories that would have made him smile. The good times now forgotten times. Another life, another person's moments. Only death remained. Every moment, every day, and every month. For almost a year, but for what seemed like forever. Focus on the expectation of death. In the sick room, on her bed, 
his mother gradually wasting away, losing strength and consciousness, barely able to speak, hardly conscious of his presence, and sometimes when she was conscious, unable to recognize him, her own son, a stranger. In that expectation, both of them conscious of its inevitability, but unable to acknowledge the stark fact, refusing to give it voice or a deeper substance. He had made an effort to bring a normality to their daily lives, with routine, with smiles, with the incessant chatter, with the lies, plans for the future that would never happen. He learned to mask his anxiety and his fears, the depression he pressed against every single day, learned to smile through those emotions and keep the smile fixed on his face, even during those moments when he caught glimpses of what was coming. A sickening shudder, a clumsy movement, a moment of delirium, he kept the smile from twisting into something else when he was close to tears, and he blinked the tears away and went on. The intolerable had become the norm. He deliberately lost himself in lies and distractions. He carried on and waited for the final moment. But when the moment came, it didn't make any difference. It didn't help. He could close his eyes and walk himself through the memory, explore every detail, Weeks later, and it was still so fresh, the emotions raw. He remembered the strange dream he'd had before he had woken up as well. He remembered being suffocated by a complete darkness, huddled against a wall he couldn't see, holding his knees close against his chest, shivering from a constant ice-cold chill. He could hear unintelligible whispers in the dark. One in his ear made him shudder and recoil blindly away. Then came the hands. Sharp fingers stroking his face, working their way repeatedly through his hair, as though trying to reassure and calm an animal. Then his mother's sobbing shook him from his sleep. With a sickeningly familiar sense of urgency, he bolted from the bed and rushed to her room. He found her with her hands stretched out in front of her, simultaneously shielding herself and pushing something away. Her countenance contorted with a dread that made her barely recognizable but there wasn't anything there. It's okay, Mom, he said, gently taking hold of her wrists and attempting to bring her arms down, afraid she was going to hurt herself. There was a surprising strength in her limbs, a strength he hadn't seen for some time. She shook herself free and swept her hand through the air, striking him in the face. I don't want to die here, she pleaded, her voice shaking with sobs. Get me out, get me out of here. He attempted to take hold of her wrists again. Mom, you're home. You're not at the hospital anymore. It's okay. Don't let them get me. Please, it's okay, he said, debating whether to call the doctor, not realizing he was crying until his tears spilled onto the bedsheets. No one is going to get you. It's okay. A chill went through him as her sight seized on him. Her eyes were frozen and round with dread. We have to get out, Stephen. This house isn't safe. This house isn't... Her frail body convulsed with seizures. Her eyes rolled back, and her body arched into the air. Sobbing, trying to stop his hands from trembling, he reached for the phone and stopped as she slumped down onto the bed, not moving, her eyes wide open but seeing nothing. Lifeless. Yes, he remembered everything about that night. He remembered dropping to his knees and staring ahead of him. Just staring. Unable to grasp any thoughts as tears streamed down his face. The moment they had dreaded had finally come. 
and it had been worse. Far worse than he could have possibly imagined. Strange how the familiar shifts out of sync after death. You're numb to it all, but you know that things have changed and won't ever be the same. You know there's pieces missing that can't be replaced, but you don't know your place in the new reality. You don't know where you belong. There weren't many people at the funeral. Her mother's brother and his wife, her sister, and two old friends of hers. Her other few friends had been too unwell or too frail to make it. A dying generation. So many people that had been a part of her life had passed away themselves. He couldn't help wondering if this was the outcome. To live the end of your life alone, just waiting to die. Who would be left to miss him when he died? It rained throughout the funeral. Few words were spoken amongst the mourners. Apart from himself, no real display of emotion. And nothing significant to mark the moment. He couldn't remember the priest's words. He played the part people expected him to play, but he couldn't connect to any of it. He just wanted to close his eyes and extinguish the world from sight, wish it all away. There was no wake after the funeral. There was no point. Quick goodbyes were said without any expressions of physical affection. Like himself, everyone played their part, and when it was over, they were finished. They went home. It wasn't until after the funeral, when he arrived home and closed the door behind him, when he stared up at that gloomy staircase and listened to the silence, that the reality sank in. What am I going to do? He whispered to no one. What am I going to do? Wiping her hands over the kitchen sink, his mother gazed out through the window as the morning sunshine poured through. A bright sunshine that flooded every inch of the window and appeared to obscure everything outside. A sunshine that saturated the room, merging the detail, blurring the edges. He could persuade himself that the room was lost and floating in the light, that the outside world didn't exist. He had to hold the moment. Smiling, she turned and looked at him. Stephen, you haven't touched your pancakes. He smiled back at her. I'm... I'm not really hungry. You can't starve yourself, she said, shaking her head. Hold the moment. I love you. He choked out, unable to suppress the tears, feeling them sting his face. You need to eat. You need to look after yourself. He didn't want to let go. It's going to be a lovely day, he said hurriedly, clenching his fists. We should go to the park later. Her smile waned. Please look after yourself, she pleaded. I can't be here for you now. You have to move on. He couldn't pretend anymore. No, he sobbed. It's not fair. No, it isn't, she agreed, drawing closer. You spent so long looking after me, you forgot there was another world outside. You stopped living your life. I don't know what to do. She stooped down. Get out, she whispered, only a few inches from his ear. All their eyes are on you now. He was jolted from the dream. His eyes flew open. He sat bolt upright in the bed and scanned the room, not sure what he expected to see, but unable to shake off the persistent sensation of being watched. Unsteadily, breathing hard, he climbed off the bed, 
He needed to get out of the room. Frustratingly, he couldn't grasp the reason. None of it made sense. He just couldn't resist the urge to get out of the room. In the hallway, the relief came immediately, but his eyes were drawn to his mother's bedroom at the end of the hall. He hadn't entered the room since the day of the funeral. He wished he hadn't closed the door. It stood like a barrier now, a barrier between the past and the present. He approached the door, then pressed his fingers lightly against it. Somehow it was so easy to pretend that nothing had happened, that his mother was still there on the bed on the other side. Maybe she was. Maybe it had all been a bad dream. The funeral was blurred and vague in his mind. Easy to dismiss if he wished it. Easy to pretend that everything was still the same. He trembled as he gripped the doorknob. He turned it an inch and then stopped. No, too soon. He couldn't do it. He pulled back from the door until he struck the wall. He was still trembling. No, not yet. Too soon. Not yet. Five minutes. He poured the tea into the cup and set it on the tray. Then taking the pot off the stove, he turned and poured the soup into the bowl. All that was left was the bread. The loaf felt hard to the touch, so he sliced it thinly. It would be okay. He would be the one to feed her. Picking up the tray, he turned to face the doorway and stopped as he remembered. A moment of mild shock that rooted him to the floor. His eyes burned as he placed the tray back onto the table. Then he stared at his own plate of food. He had to eat. He couldn't starve himself. I'm sorry, he whispered quietly, walking out of the kitchen. Back in his bedroom, he noticed a detail that must have been there for some time. There was a crack in the wall above the headboard, only a few inches long, but dust from the crack had showered on his pillow. He shook his head dismissively, turned the pillow over, and climbed into bed. Curling up into himself, he closed his eyes. He needed to sleep. Everything would be better after a little sleep. You spent so long looking after me you forgot there was another world outside. His mother's voice was hollow this time. It resonated all around him as he drifted in an impenetrable dark, a void of nothingness. All reality obscured into oblivion, nothing to hurt him. Here he could be anything he wanted, think and believe anything he wanted. Another reality made out of need. Doesn't matter, he whispered back to the voice. You can't hide away forever, her voice persisted. Can't hide from them. Before he could respond, harsh whispers flooded the air around him. Then ice-cold hands seized his limbs. In their vice-like grip, he found himself being dragged downwards through the dark. As he writhed against his invisible attackers, one of them stroked his cheek, then another pressed the side of their face against his, except that face felt deformed against his own. Whatever it was, it wasn't human. With a cry, he convulsed from the dream. His eyes opened. He slumped down onto the bed. Jumping to his feet, he turned a full circle as he searched the room for invaders. No one. Nothing. Another dream. Half stumbling, he reached for the door. The sensation of being watched was suffocating this time. There was no one there, but he didn't feel like he was alone in the room. He almost fell out into the hallway. After a moment, breathing deep to steady himself, 
he found his attention being drawn to his mother's room again. Awkwardly, unable to shake the sensation that something had changed, he approached the door and faced it. He took hold of the doorknob. Only a few seconds. That's all it would take to break the obstacle. When he opened the door, he would realize that there was nothing to be afraid of, and that she was gone. Really gone. Stephen? The familiar voice from inside the room, a whisper low but distinct, caused him to shudder and recoil from the door. He shook his head. No, he had imagined it. Couldn't have been her. His imagination. Stephen! This time he rushed forward and threw the door open. In the gloom with the light off and the curtains closed, he had genuinely expected to find his mother on the bed, waiting for him. Despite everything that had happened, he had expected the impossible. But he didn't see his mother. In the shadows, he saw ashen gray, emaciated skeletal forms crawling across the walls and ceiling, with limbs disproportionate to the rest of their bodies. Creatures with slits for eyes, a blackness gleaming beneath, with wide mouths revealing small but pointed incisors, and within their mouths, two thin, black tendrils on either side, which darted in and out repeatedly. The sight lasted for a fraction of a second. Caught, exposed, they shrank back into the thicker shadows in the room, then slithered rapidly and effortlessly with the liquid-like substance into the walls themselves. With a drawn-out cry, Stephen stumbled back, then driven by an overpowering dread and revulsion, found himself clinging to the walls as he made his way through the hall and down the staircase. The image of the creatures burned vividly in his mind. Even when he closed his eyes, he could see them, see their gleaming eyes boring into him. He reached out to the front door, his hand shook uncontrollably, and stopped in midair. He couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to open that door. What did he intend to do? Who would believe him if he asked for help? He didn't know what was expected of him now. There was no future in his mind. Nothing mattered. He only had a place in the world here, in the house he grew up in. This was the only place where he belonged. This was home. This is where his mother was. He turned slowly and gazed up at the staircase. Nothing was ever easy. The past few years had been far from easy. Years of depression and constant anxiety while he cared for his mother. Years of waiting for someone to die and being afraid it could happen at any moment. He was in the same position he had been in before, having to adapt to an abnormal life and making it normal. He was going to stay. And he wasn't going to be driven out by them. His discovery of the creatures had made them bolder. Though they still hid from sight, they made no effort to conceal their existence in the house now. He heard them shifting between the walls, squirming and scraping their way through, sometimes pausing momentarily, then shifting again. He heard them above him. If he was on the ground floor, they scuttled around in the room above, ceaselessly and excitedly for almost an hour, searching, exploring. If he was on the upper floor, he heard them in the attic, a large number of them. The ceiling creaked with their weight, as if they were swarming together in a mass like rats. And if he needed to hear more, he heard them in the crack in his bedroom wall. The crack had grown to over seven inches and deepened. If he pressed his ear against the fracture, he heard their harsh, grating voices. An alien language. He couldn't comprehend it, 
or even try to interpret the meaning of their language, but he was certain he caught his name on a few occasions. Determined to learn more about them, he decided to confront them one day. When he heard them whispering in his mother's room, he kicked the door open and took one step inside the doorway. Before they could retreat, he aimed his cell phone and used the flash repeatedly on them. As he had theorized, the light was too harsh for them, their faces contorted with unmistakable agony. Some shielded themselves, some uttered a high-pitched whine. He reached for the light switch to see what would happen, but they were too quick. They shrank back into hiding before he could even touch it. But he had found their weakness. The light would protect him. At the kitchen sink, his mother gazed out through the window as a blood-red light poured through and flooded the room, tainting everything it touched with a smearing gloom. You're still not eating, she said breathlessly. He stared down at his plate. I'm not hungry. She turned and looked at him. He was sure he caught a flash of frustration before she faced him. You shouldn't be here. I can't leave. He struggled to explain. Tears burned his eyes. I don't want to. An unmistakable anger suffused her countenance. I told you all their eyes are on you now. I'll get rid of them, he said, desperate to reassure her. Don't be a fool, she shouted. Wake up, Stephen. Look at them. Thrown from the dream, he trembled with the overwhelming sensation of being watched. But this time, he resisted the urge to jump from the bed and escape from the room. This time he could sense the source of the persistent sensation. Still trembling, balling his hands into fists, he stretched his head back and looked up at the wall behind him. The fracture in the wall had lengthened further than the width of the bed, widened by inches. Despite the light being on to keep him safe, the creatures watched him from within the shadows. There must have been about ten of them. Their eyes all of their gleaming eyes on him. With a moan, he jumped from the bed, pulling the bedsheets with him. He reached for the bedside lamp, switched it on, and thrust it against the opening. Uttering high-pitched whines, the creatures retreated into the darkness completely. It was then that he noticed another detail. Glancing down behind the headboard of the bed, he saw another opening, from the ground up, stretching a foot across, wide enough to allow one of the creatures access. He pulled the bed forward to get a better look, and then shivered involuntarily with an unwelcome realization. The creatures could pass through the walls. They didn't need these holes to get to him. If that was the case, they were meant for him. They wanted to pull him through into their world. They were up to something. First, in the morning he discovered that the landline phone had been cut. When he checked the wires in the passage, he found them severed. They appeared as if they had been chewed through. He had to keep his cell phone on him. He also decided then to keep every light on in every room in the house. To do otherwise might give them an opportunity to get the upper hand. Also, in case he came across any more holes, he would have a torchlight with him at all times. Then in the evening, they started shifting through the house. Their activity was unmistakable and distinct. They were working their way downwards through the house. The beams shook and creaked with their effort. When he pressed his fingers against the bedroom wall, it vibrated at his touch. What were they up to? He went out into the passage, then descended the staircase as the sounds continued to work their way down. 
On the ground floor, he heard the creatures shifting all around him, as if searching for something. Then the noise went down again. Into the basement? What could they want in the basement? No, he whispered as the answer came to him. The circuit breaker. Heart pounding, he rushed towards the basement door and flung the door open. As he reached for the light switch, the lights in the passage flickered and died. Darkness. In the shadows, he backed away from the basement door as they proceeded to make their way up again. They stopped at ground level, and soon he heard them all around him, scraping at the walls. He had no choice now. Whirling around, he rushed towards the front door and staggered backwards as the forms broke through the walls and ceiling. So many of them obscured every inch of the door. With a moan, he reached for the staircase. As he gripped the banister, their hands penetrated the side wall and lunged at him, clutching his limbs, lifting him into the air. He flailed frantically against their hold, but there were too many of them. They were too strong. He found himself being carried through the dark up to his mother's bedroom, where they had opened the door in readiness. Whispering incessantly, they dragged his body up into the corner of the ceiling. He wanted to close his eyes and dream as their hands stroked his body, again as if to soothe and reassure him. But their hands also ripped away his t-shirt. Then their mouths closed over his bare skin. He convulsed with agony as the tendrils in their mouths penetrated his skin. A heavy warmth flooded through his body, overpowered his strength and will, rendering him helpless as they proceeded to draw on his blood. A sickening dizziness drowned his senses. Still, they caressed him, attempted to reassure him that somehow, despite what was happening, everything was all right. Finally, weakened and sinking, he lapsed into unconsciousness. Was this death? A disembodied consciousness lost and drifting in oblivion? But no, he had some sensation of his physical form. In the air, he was trapped and entangled in an all-encompassing constraint. His head was arched back, his arms were at his sides, and his knees were bent. He could only stretch and flex his limbs within the constraint. In the darkness, he couldn't see the cause of his forced paralysis. Was this death? No, his mother's voice whispered into his ear. You're not dead. Mother? You shouldn't be here, she admonished. Why didn't you listen to me? I'm sorry, he whimpered. I'll get out. Too late now, she responded in resignation. I'll have to make the best of it. I sleep now. Warmth flooded through him, smothering his thoughts, overpowering his strength. He made an effort to fight it, but he was just too weak. It was futile. He slipped back into unconsciousness. The whispers stirred him from his sleep. All around him, a relentless stream of whispers. He understood them now, understood everything. The whispers meant no harm. Drawn to his misery, they had only wanted to help him. He belonged to them, and they belonged to him. A collective union in every sense, in body and in mind. Sensations felt by all. Thoughts opened and shared in the singular unconsciousness. He could never be alone with them. He was a part of them now. Can you see now? His mother's voice drew him into the waking world. 
Mother, open your eyes. He obeyed. Yes, he could see. The creature's squirming bodies were all around him, clinging together in a mass, holding him within their collective. Their mouths were clamped on each other, the tendrils simultaneously feeding on and nourishing and vital in creating and maintaining the link they shared. In the mass of bodies, he caught sight of other forms, the spirits of the dead given flesh, and the bodies of the living altered irrevocably, feeding on each other. All of them were continuously changing, transforming, becoming something else. Yes, his own skin was ashen gray now. His vision was red, but it felt natural. His mother writhed through the bodies to get closer and cradled him in her arms, rocked him back and forth. He smiled, never to stand alone again, never to be alone again, never to fear. What could be better than this? To always feel safe in the arms of mother. That was Marius Decomitus's The Whisperers, as read by Spencer Desparty. Spencer Desparty is a voice actor and musician who lives in Phoenix, Arizona with his wife and son. He has done a number of narrations for such literary podcasts as Pseudopod, Starship Sofa, Escape Artists, and Tales to Terrify. His music can be found at soundcloud.com slash thegerianband. If you'd like to have him on any of your future projects, he can be reached at sdisparty87 at gmail.com. Thank you, Spencer. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters over on Patreon and PayPal. If you're not a supporter already, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? head over to Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our twisted faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales. You can also share your love of the show by wearing some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will shoot you over to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy, custom, and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Borsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. 
Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we explore the shadows under the bed with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.